0: Friends, it is time for Hour 2 of Open Line with Dr. Michael Rydelnick. This is Moody Radio's Bible study across America. We're taking your questions about the Bible, God, and the spiritual life. Dr. Rydelnik still recovering from some surgery. He'll be back in just a few weeks. He's recovering well. In the meantime, this week... You have me, Dr. Cisco Cotto. I teach in the Pastoral Studies Department at Moody Bible Institute, along with my colleague, Dr. Mike Van Lanningham. And we are taking your questions at 877-548-3675, 877-548-3675. You can also go to the website, openlineradio.org, and you'll look for the Ask Michael a Question form. You can fill that out. All those questions get placed in our mailbag. A little later on this hour, we will get to some of your mailbag questions. Again, those are sent in at openlineradio.org. And I want to say a word. Another website in addition to that that I would love for you to go to is the website moody.edu. That's a pretty simple website, moody.edu. Mike V. and I, along with Dr. Michael Rydelnik, teach at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, beautiful campus right in the heart of downtown Chicago. If you or your child, or your grandchild, is in any way, even remotely, thinking about serving God in ministry, uh, as a pastor, as a youth pastor, uh, serving God as a counselor, social worker, serving God uh, as a teacher in elementary school, I want you to go to that website, moody.edu, because we would love for you to study with us. Uh, Just a great campus culture, very Christ-centered. You're going to be saturated in the Bible. Uh, Just just really, really enjoy teaching here at Moody. So go to that website and check it out, moody.edu. And any undergraduate student who lives and studies here on the Chicago campus, because of generous donors, you get a full tuition scholarship. And, 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 I, and I, I didn't say that wrong. You might think that I did. But because of generous donors, a full tuition scholarship, you pay room and board and some other fees, uh, but really a cost effective way to study God's Word and so much more. Moody.edu. Uh, I look forward to studying with you here on campus. Uh, and Mike V, our number two, N- our number one, no heresy. I think we did all right. <laughs> Are you sure there was no heresy?
1: Yeah, pretty sure. Pretty sure. <laughs>
0: Let me say we haven't gotten any calls about heresy. No, we haven't.
1: But no, there hasn't been any heresy. And um, Cisco, thank you so much for everything. And I, I, we didn't actually thank the crew in our first hour. Yeah, we did.
0: Did we really? Oh, we did. Did but, you do that? But, but I was preoccupied but looking. Thank them again things.
1: Th- because we so, have a great crew behind the scenes. Our producer, our producer is Trish McMillan, who's a former student of mine, and I taught her everything she knows. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, our engineer is Bob Moreau. And Lynn is answering the phones. And if it weren't for them, we would all be in really big trouble. Yeah,
0: lots of great, great help behind the scenes. And uh, love being here anytime that we can fill in for Dr. Michael Rydelnick. We want to get back to your calls. Again, that number, 877-548-3675. Uh, let's go to Matthew. Matthew is calling us from Georgia. Good morning, Matthew. Thanks so much for listening and calling us. You're on Open Line.
2: Good morning. Thank you for taking my call today.
0: You're welcome. Go ahead. um,
2: So uh, my question is in uh, the New Testament, when Jesus is talking, I think, to to the religious people about John the Baptist, he mentioned that he was Elijah, if they were willing to accept it. And I'm just wondering what your thoughts on that. Is it Possibly an example of reincarnation of Elijah, or just want to see what your thoughts are.
1: Yes, thank you, Matthew. Uh, the Bible does not teach reincarnation. That's something very different from, from a biblical thing. But it's interesting, too, what's going on with Elijah. Uh, way back in 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 15, uh, it says that the spirit of Elijah— rests on Elisha. There were people who were saying that. Um, and, I, and I think that, again, that's not incarnation. It's just the Lord worked it out so that he gave Elisha a similar ministry, similar capabilities, and, um, and just sort of a, a similar vibe that Elijah had without, um, without Elisha being the reincarnation of Elijah. It's interesting in Luke chapter one, verse 17, referring to John the John the Baptist is saying this. Um, it says, he will go as a forerunner. John's, uh, John is um, being referred to here. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. And so we have the same, a real similar expression to what we had in second Kings. And I think what the idea is, is that is not that um, that John the Baptist is a reincarnation of Elijah. It's as Elisha had a similar ministry and uh, similar power and could do similar sorts of miraculous things. John the Baptist had a similar ministry, a similar message, calling God's people back to covenant faithfulness and such. Um, and so that I, th- I think that these things indicate really that that what we're talking about is similar ministries similar empowerment from the spirit but without incarnation at all and then in matthew chapter 17 you know that's the passage that you referred to uh, elijah is coming and will restore all things jesus says but i say to you elijah already came and they did not recognize him but did to him whatever they wished," referring to john the baptist but i think again jesus is talking about what he knows to be biblical about elijah that other people, like Elisha, like John the Baptist, were going to have an Elijah-type ministry, and that that's what all of that means.
0: Now, in the importance, too, in, in there not being reincarnation is that creates a completely unbiblical, different view of our souls and what happens to them. Reincarnation just puts you in this endless loop of, uh, of you become a fly, you become a giraffe, you become a human, then, you know, maybe you become a tarantula. I, I don't know. And I mean, I, I don't want to sound like I'm mocking here. I, I want us to understand the difference in a worldview that would allow reincarnation and a biblical worldview that says you are created uniquely uh, you are going to live forever either in heaven with the Lord or in hell and there's that, that one, one lifetime that's it very different.
1: yeah we have a destiny we're that's going right. somewhere and it's not uh, in
0: into a sort of reincarnated condition yeah which is very hopeless too no one really talks about that that the, the yeah. idea of reincarnation is just this hopeless cycle over and over and over again uh and uh, and that is not what the bible teaches right. thank you matthew so much thanks for calling in hope that helped you uh sue is in illinois and she is calling us listening on wmbi good morning sue you're on open line with dr cisco Codo, dr michael van lanningham sitting in for dr michael hi. rydelnik okay.
3: hi um. I was just uh, calling because of the uh, controversy of the Calvinist and the Albanian. And in previous callers, you are pretty much answered your stance on it. But I am um, finding out that a lot of pastors do not even want to discuss it because it has led to church splits, And... Uh, and I've been, you know, looking at it for quite some time. And is it heresy to deny God's sovereignty and man's uh, unability, uh, man's uh, total depravity?
0: Well, and Sue, I, well, I mean, I Sue, let's let let me address Mike V. and I both been pastors, but but let me address the pastoral okay. issue. Often they don't want to get into it. Uh, not because they're afraid of a church split, uh, I mean, maybe they are, but often it is because it is so complicated, there is so much to it, um, and and uh, maybe they're not equipped, maybe they're they, they not willing to get into the depth for whatever reason. It's it's not a 60-second answer, which is often why I, I think it creates challenges for pastors to get into that. Uh, but as, as to the, the, the issue uh, the, of the question... Yeah, I, I,
1: you know, and I can't speak. Obviously, it would require omniscience to say this, but I think a lot of pastors don't t- touch on it, as Cisco mentioned it, the possibility. They don't touch on it because it could be controversial, and they don't want to split their church, or they don't want to lose people. And and I think some pastors, I know this was true of me when I was pastoring, way too often I ministered out of fear, and so there were things I didn't do that I absolutely should have done. So I, I think that that can be part of it. It is a complicated issue, um, I, I think I think the Armenians are not heretics because they do believe that salvation ultimately is found in Christ alone, and we had we have to have faith in Him for salvation. But but other things they say are, are um, problematic, and in my opinion, don't don't really represent the most Scripture and the best understanding of Scriptures. That's good. Does that help you?
4: It
3: does, it is not explained in the movie Bible Commentary. I Um, think there is, it's not, there's nothing on it there in the Ephesians
1: uh, 1 and 2. But if you were to go to uh, the commentary section on uh, Romans chapter 9, uh, then oh, you would you would find some great help, and the reason why I know that is because
0: I wrote that commentary, <laughs> and I'm a Calvinist, so so it is mentioned there for sure. And we have to understand the difference in in what books are designed to get across. For example, the Moody Bible Commentary you're going through Scripture. It's not that you're not talking about big themes, but it's not written as a book where you can go to a chapter on Calvinism versus Arminianism or something like that. Uh, there are other books for that. Uh, one that I enjoy, that I recommend to students all the time, is the Moody Handbook of Theology. Uh, simply written, clearly written. Uh, it's not going to get into the depth of some of these huge books, but it's going to give you a really good overview of these issues, and uh, and, and it's supported in Scripture, really showing you uh, what, what the issues are about. So I hope that helps you. Uh, let's go to Gretchen. Gretchen is in Northbrook, Illinois, listening on WMBI. Good morning, Gretchen. You're on open line.
2: Uh, good morning, doctors and pastors.
0: Morning. Yes,
2: um, I have a question. Um, I, um, uh, I'm a senior citizen, and uh, uh, not just because I'm a senior, but I think uh, all through my walk with the Lord, I've really struggled with uh, the definition of Words like, I'll rattle off some on my list here, um, just as some of them, uh, righteousness, justification, sanctification, grace, reconciliation, holiness. Uh, all the words that, uh, you know, are the background of our faith, you know, all the big words in the Bible, as Dr. Rydelnik um, talked about, uh, I think it was months ago, he actually mentioned a a particular uh, book that he liked uh, to refer to people to. But do either of you have any uh, references as to uh, books that you recommend um, that would give definitions uh, simple to understand by, uh, you know, lay people like myself, and especially as I get older um, and read through um, the scriptures, that I understand what these words mean, and stuff like that are there any books that either of you two recommend
1: yes gretchen you're in luck uh in a, in the calvinistic sense of the word you're in luck <laughs> so there's a I'm, wonderful i'm gonna,
2: I'm gonna, also, I'm, gonna the, put the, I'm gonna put the radio on and i'm gonna get off the phone okay. okay all right yeah get, okay.
1: Your, okay. Notebook, Ed, okay. get okay. your
0: notebook out gretchen get your notebook because we're gonna get, give get, you ready, some suggestions get ready to jot this, this down okay
2: i'm gonna do that
1: it's a wonderful book by two friends of ours uh, dave finkbeiner that's finkbeiner and uh brian tucker tucker's easier than finkbeiner um, entitled "The Fifty Most Important Fifty Most Important Theological Terms," and and they deal with with fifty terms just like that. And it's the book I'm reading it right now. The book is super helpful. It's very clear. It shows a bunch of issues on some things, but it deals with them with brevity and clarity. There's another great book by a guy named Jay Dwight Pentecost, who is not a Pentecostal, used to teach at <laughs> Dallas Seminary. Uh, entitled Things Which Become Sound Doctrine, Things Which Become Sound Doctrine. That also has like 18 chapters in it dealing with different theological terms. I would say these, these two books, 50 Key Theological Terms, Most Important Theological Terms, and Things Which Become Sound Doctrine, would be very helpful for you.
0: All right. I have one to throw out, but say, say those again slowly because there's people at home, they have pen and paper in hand, yep. furiously writing down, and they're like, oh, I, m- I missed part of that. What was that one? So say those okay. again. 50 key theological terms. I think that's the title. Well, let me, let me see. Probably most uh, th- important. 50, 50, 50, 50 most,
1: um, most, important. most important
0: theological yep. terms yep.
1: and yep. things which become sound doctrine.
0: Yeah, I have one more that I want to throw at you that is, uh, it's a little deeper. There's more depth, but that's okay. We're not afraid of depth. Uh, This one is called The Essential Scriptures. The Essential Scriptures. It's written by Kevin Zuber. Uh, it's a handbook of key—what he does beautifully is he he finds all of the texts that support the doctrines that we believe, and he harnesses them together in sections. So when you're, you're talking about what we believe, he takes you right to these scriptures so that they're very easy to find. Uh, so that, that's a good one, too, The Essential Scriptures— by Kevin Zuber. That, that would be a good one for you to get. So that's three of them. I, I hope that helps. And thank you so much for calling in. I'm Dr. Cisco Cotto, along with Dr. Michael Van Lanningham. And we are sitting in for Dr. Michael Rydelnik on Open Line. More of your calls coming up. Here's the number, 877-548-3675. 877-548-3675. We look forward to talking to you along the radio kitchen table.
5: People often wonder, what's Hanukkah all about? So, with Hanukkah coming up in December, Chosen People Ministries wants to help open line listeners by offering a free booklet called The Gospel According to Hanukkah. Chosen People Ministries reaches Jewish people around the world with the good news of Jesus the Messiah. The Gospel According to Hanukkah explains the ancient origins of this holiday, the way it's celebrated today, and how it relates to our own faith in Jesus, the light of the world. For a free copy of The Gospel According to Hanukkah, just go to openlineradio.org. Scroll down, and you'll see a link that says, A Free Gift from Chosen People Ministries. Click on that, and you'll be able to sign up for your very own copy of
0: The Gospel
5: According to Hanukkah.
0: You are listening to Open Line with Dr. Michael Rydelnik. Here's our number, 877-548-3675. 877-548-3675 eight seven seven five four eight three six seven five you can also go to openlineradio.org. I'm Dr. Cisco Coto. I teach in the Pastoral Studies Department at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, along with my colleague and professor, Dr. Michael Van Lanningham. He is the co-editor, along with Dr. Rydelnik, of the Moody Bible Commentary as well, a really great resource. Uh, we're really having a blast being with you and taking your questions about God, the Bible, and the spiritual life. And let's get right back to the phones. Helen is calling us from Ohio, listening on WCRF. Uh, I'm on WCRF there, Mornings with Brian. I'm on there. We talk about all kinds of stuff. It's really good. I did not know that. Yes, yes, Brian, just a great long-time friend. Our Brian friend. Dolan? Yes. Oh. Brian Dolan is the morning show host there at WCRF in Cleveland, just does a fantastic job. And so I, I love any time I get to go on the air with Brian. Uh, but, Helen, you are on the air with us right now. What's your question? Thanks for calling.
4: Okay, I listen to W F C J in Dayton. Great Southwestern Ohio.
0: That's excellent.
4: And thank you. Yes. Uh your program has always been inspirational to me. But some of my friends have debated XMAS. They say that's taking Christ out of Christmas. I see nothing wrong with writing it that way. That's the way it is acceptable to me,
0: Helen. Why? Why would you do it? What? I, I'm this is not. Don't, don't think of this as criticism. I'm just trying to understand. In in what ways would you write Xmas instead of Christmas?
4: Mm, a variety. Well, you could put the baby Jesus in the X. It could be shorter, yes, but that's not
0: a real reason. Um, do you use it? Do you use Xmas? No, but I read it as acceptable. Oh, I see. Okay, okay. Uh, this is one of those that that gets really contentious, whether it's around the Thanksgiving table or whether it's later on around the Christmas you know celebrations when you're around the table. There, uh, th- this is one that I always send people to the heart motive of how they're using language and why they're using language. Uh, Are you shortening it because of some sort of an issue with Christ? And I'm talking to believers here, not not non-believers, not non-Christians. As a Christian, are are you uh, in some way ashamed of Jesus, wanting to take Jesus out of uh, the holiday or out of the conversation? What is your heart motive behind the reason? Uh, If you're just quickly, you got some chicken scratch and you're just hurrying up and you're you're trying to shorten it, okay, that's one thing. Uh, but when it comes to uh, talking about the holiday, talking about what it is, what it's about, why we celebrate, uh, I, I, I don't want to tell people they're sinning if they do it or not. But I personally would not in any way want to diminish it. But we have to have to realize what, what's the hard issue behind it. Maybe that's that's a significant part of what we're doing. Yeah, I it I
1: will some with some frequency. I will if I make myself a note or something, I will write Xmas. And, and I don't think I'm being, um, you know, horrible when I do that because uh, in Greek, the, the word Christos, um, which we transliterate into Christ, begins with an X, what looks like an X to us. It's actually the letter key, and it's, uh, it, it's a, a hard, like a K sound, like Bach rather than chair. Is there, there's a reason why we don't say Jesus trist, even though it begins with C-H. It's because it's transliterating Key and keys are translated with a k sound, so I don't think it's a problem if Christians write Xmas. Um, it, it's it's they're just abbreviating Christ to the first le- letter of Christ. But if we are using Xmas because we want to abandon Jesus and remove the significance of of uh, the Christmas holiday as a celebration of Him. Then, um, then that I would say that's just wrong. It's just wrong.
0: Yeah, it comes back to the reason why you're doing right. it, right? And what's our motivation? Uh, yeah. As you mentioned, if you just you're writing something down quickly, that's uh, that's certainly different. Yes. Thanks so much, Helen, for calling in. Let's go to uh, is this Loris calling from the Chicago area, listening to WMBI? Lori, Lori, Lori yeah, go no. ahead. You're on open line. Or-
4: Thank you. I, I would appreciate if you could explain to me Isaiah forty-five, seven. And God says I create evil in the King James Version. NIV says disaster. And I know God is love, so I'm having trouble understanding this text.
1: Right, and it is a hard text. And um I I think um this is this is where Arminians sort of like to step in because they say God has nothing to do with sin, evil, and suffering. Nothing whatsoever that's all opposed to his will. Well, if it's opposed to his will, why is it here? Why, does it, why is it here at all if, it's opposed, if he opposes it, and yet we have it? So so let me explain what I think is going on in Isaiah 45. Um, it says in, in the New American Standard, um, referring to God, I am the Lord, there is no other, the one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating, and then the NASB says, calamity. It's actually the Hebrew word ra'ah, and sometimes ra'ah can be used for moral evil, what we think of as moral evil. But sometimes ra'ah is used for natural disasters and calamities that befall a person. It goes on to say that God is the one causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all these And so part of what we have here is a statement affirming the fact that God is sovereign and providentially rules over and governs sin, evil, and suffering. In this case, suffering uh, because of natural disasters. One other passage as well in the book of Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 37, 38, it says, Who is there who speaks, and it comes to pass, unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Lord, uh, the mouth of the Most High? That both good and ill go forth, all of which is saying God is sovereign over hardships that happen in the world, natural disasters and such. But I think he also providentially governs for his glory and our good, governs even uh, sin. But it's not that God has, is the creator or the originator or not even the promoter of sin. He is sovereign over it. He, he will uh, bring about good through it in spite of it, and that just shows his power. But God's, God, doesn't, God is not the one who made evil, and there we have a mystery for sure.
0: And that's where I, I think there, there is tension that so many people struggle with is the idea that the, as you mentioned in the New American Standard, calamity, that somehow God could use that and yet we see it all the time in our world, whether it is natural calamity, uh, storms, that sort of thing, Uh, whether it is the, the, the poor actions of people God uses all of these things, and and we can start with the cross, which, I mean, you want to talk about uh, what seems like a big mistake, and for the people who did it was, and yet God uh, ordained it, God knew it would happen, God used it, and he used it to all of our benefit. It was a sin for those people to
1: crucify Jesus, the Romans and the Jewish leaders both. Uh, it was a sin for them to do it, and yet we know that God, in His providence, stood behind it without Him being guilty of the moral evil of their sin. And there we, we do, and there we have mystery.
0: And and that's a mystery. Sometimes very uncomfortable to sit in, and yet we have to sit in those mysteries at times. Uh, we look forward to taking more of your calls at 877-548-3675, 877-548-3675. We have the mailbag coming out next. Lots of questions coming in at openlineradio.org, and we will get to some of those next. Dr. Cisco Coto and Dr. Michael Van Lanningham sitting in for Dr. Michael Rydelnick on OpenLine.
5: Each week on Open Line with me, Dr. Michael Rydelnick, we sit around our radio kitchen table and study the scriptures together. You can become a kitchen table partner by supporting OpenLine each month. As a benefit to becoming a partner, you'll receive a bi-weekly email called a Bible study moment where I'll share Bible study tips, answer some common Bible questions, and encourage you in your spiritual walk. Become a kitchen table partner today. Call 888-644-7122 or go to openlineradio.org. We're so glad that FEBC partners with Open Line with Dr. Michael Ray bringing the FEBC mailbag every week. Learn how Far East Broadcasting Company is taking Christ to the world at febc.org. On their weekly podcast, Until All have Heard with Ed Cannon, you'll hear stories of lives changed by Messiah all across the globe. Again, you can hear the podcast when you visit febc.org. That's febc.org.
0: Welcome back to Open Line. I'm Dr. Cisco Cotto along with Dr. Michael Van Lanningham filling in for Dr. Michael Rydelnik today. It is the mailbag segment. We'll get back to your calls in just a few minutes, but now it's time to get some of those questions that have been sent in via our website, openlineradio.org, openlineradio.org. The producer of Open Line, Tricia McMillan, is at the radio kitchen table with us right now. Hi, Hi Trish. Hi there. <laughs> so what questions you got?
6: All right. Well, our first one is from Karen. She listens to the podcast. And I think especially with Christmas coming up and All of the deals that we're seeing. She is wondering, as a Christian, should we be considering the retail places that we are purchasing things? If they are promoting things or donating to places that we don't agree with? Like how far down the line are we kind of responsible? And yet she wants to be a good steward with her money. What's the biblical way to approach this? Is it more about how we spend our money or more about the specific places that we spend our money? Or is it both?
0: Or Yeah, or can it be both? Yeah. M- many years ago, there was a, a corporation that I felt was uh, engaged in social action that I, I didn't like. I just didn't like it very much. And so I said, I'm not going to spend my money with them. And, and I stopped. But then the more I started looking around, the more I got older, the more I, I had many more options, I started saying, just about any secular company is going to, in some way, spend money in a way that doesn't honor the Lord. Mm-hmm. Anyone who has money put in any kind of a mutual fund in their 401k has money that's invested with companies that are doing things that don't honor the Lord. It's, it's, it's nearly impossible to get away from that. Not totally impossible, but nearly impossible. Uh, so when it comes to that Christmas shopping and looking at these different department stores and finding out Yeah, there are many of them that are doing things that straight up dishonor the Lord, promoting things that are unbiblical. Absolutely. Uh, I think what you have to do is, James 1 tells us, uh, if you want wisdom, ask of the Lord. He'll give it to you generously. And when it comes to your money and when you spend your money and where you spend your money and how you spend your money, remembering that it's all God's money anyway and we're just stewards of it, I think you need to ask the Lord for wisdom should I shop at this store or should I not? Should I shop at that store or should I not? In the end, most stores are going to do something that doesn't honor the Lord. Mm -hmm. You can't totally get away from that. Uh, So I don't think there's hard and fast rules other than you say, Lord, how how do you want me to spend your resources and and where do you want your money to go? I think that's a great answer. I I
1: was going to use an example of you know, if, if, if I become aware that the particular kind of screw I, I buy to, to fix something in my house is also used by uh, a company that makes bar stools upon which people sit and get drunk. Well, do I, do I then choose not to buy that particular kind of screw from a particular hardware store because of that? I mean, where do you draw the line? It, you could go on and on and on forever, and then in that case what we have to do is we have to end up staying at home, never going outside, never
0: purchasing anything, and never interacting with anybody. Mm-hmm. So that's to give you freedom in the sense that don't don't feel – oh, I'm dishonoring the Lord, this sort of burden. I'm dishonoring the Lord if I spend money in that particular store. Uh, I always want to encourage brothers and sisters, Don't just don't, don't feel so much weight from this because there are stores that are spending money all kinds of ways. And yet, if after praying for wisdom, you really feel like, man, this, this store seems to be pushing an anti-God agenda uh, or this store really seems to be active in this realm, I think it's totally okay for you to then say, "I'm I'm going to move my money somewhere else, even if it may be to another secular company." If you have a, uh, if, if your conscience would bother you about shopping somewhere because you know
1: something about them, then don't shop there. We don't want you to violate your conscience. Yeah,
6: yeah,
0: and, I, and we make those choices all the time.
6: So would this kind of fall under the um, meat offered to idols? Kind of. I would say. Idea?
0: I would say so.
1: Yes. Um, and, it, and
6: I realize I just brushed that over but maybe you can elaborate a little more. Yeah, I
1: mean in, in 1 Corinthians 10, you know, Paul says, "Go ahead, eat the meat, eat the meat's put in front of you, but if somebody says this was offered in an idol's temple, then don't eat it for the sake of the conscience, probably of the person who's offered it to you." And so and so at that point maybe we would not do it. But Paul says, "Look, if you don't if you don't know what's going on and you don't really have any compunctions against doing that, then feel free to go ahead and participate. As long as it's not clearly forbidden by scripture.
6: okay. so yeah. so then there would be the freedom on on a spectrum of some will feel more strongly. I'm not going to buy things from this particular place, and others may not have that same. Um,
0: yeah, and that's one where you conscience. don't want this tension. Yeah. You, you don't want to tell your friend or your family member, I can't believe you're shopping there. Yeah, right. you must you not be saved
1: because you do <laughs> right. this or that. That's exactly forbidden in Romans chapter 14. You read yeah. through that chapter, where <laughs> we have differences of opinion on things that are not super clearly specified in Scripture. We cannot uh, be condemning and judgmental and hold other people in contempt who would differ with us.
6: Okay. All right. Thank you. I hope that's I hope that's helpful, Karen, and in helping you as you look at the coming weeks and even throughout the year because they're often not different places than we're shopping throughout the whole year. Yeah, that's right. Yeah,
0: you're right. It's not just Christmas. Yeah, Yeah. I just threw that in because
6: she wrote it last week. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, uh, Doug in Illinois listens to WMBI, and has been told never go to a chiropractor because the root of that profession is based in the occult. What are your thoughts of this? I haven't been able to find any biblical scripture to support this, other than people's uh,
0: views. I, I let me say, Mike. Let me say, I really hope that I can go to a chiropractor. Okay, I really, I hope, I hope I'm not dishonoring the Lord every single week. You know, it's it's not quite that Pretty often. Pretty sure you're not. Sister. I think you're okay. <laughs> Am I all right? I think you are. Right. You know, it, I'm glad that Doug actually sent this question in because I've talked with my chiropractor about this, who is a believer, solid believer and went to the school of chiropractic that was founded by the guy who founded chiropractic care. Really? There's a guy named Daniel Palmer. Uh, His school is in Iowa, the the Palmer School of Chiropractic. Uh, Palmer, the the history goes that he felt like uh, during this sort of mystical moment that somewhere from the other side he was told that everything in the body that ails people is controlled by the spine and if only you can get the spine in its right place then you can take care of all of these ailments and so he became known as the father of chiropractic now that was back in the 1800s in the years since uh, you have had much more research done on chiropractic care you have a track record now of chiropractic care uh, you have uh, I, I, I would I don't want to say nobody, but you know chiropractors are not going. I am uh, I am of the occult. I am doing this because of that reason. They're doing it because they truly believe there is medical benefit to it. Like my follower of Jesus chiropractor. Uh, so I, I think the history of it is is absolutely as Doug has heard. Yet I don't believe that that is what is going on today. Some people think chiropractic care is totally made up, smoke and mirrors. Some people think that it actually works. Uh, I'm, I'm telling you, there's times I can't move my neck. I go to the chiropractor, and I can move my neck. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I yeah. don't know. I mean, it seems, it seems like at least in that sense, it works. Uh, and so I, I don't worry about my, my believer chiropractor in some way being influenced by the occult. I, I just think we're beyond the origins. Uh, Mike, Mike, are you, are, are you a chiropractor guy, or do you? Think- I'm not, but no? my wife
1: is. Okay. Um, I, my father. Owned a company that made body braces for people armed, leg, back, neck braces—and mm-hmm. uh, and my grandfather was an orthopedic surgeon, hmm. and so they had nothing good to say about chiropractics. Uh, I have myself, ho- however, on occasion been to a chiropractors. I have spondylolisthesis. On occasion, my back gets really bad, and I go and uh, I almost never get help. It's just the, the where
0: my where my problem is located, but I think they have their place. Okay, but to the to the root issue. The the challenge is something that might have been founded for unbiblical purposes, right? It, it might have its origin there, and then down the road, decades later, more than a hundred years later, do we say, "Oh, I, I can't take advantage of that." I am because the root of this question, I'm sure, is, "Am I am I dishonoring the Lord?" I mean, that's what Doug wants to know, right?
6: Or is it still? Is it still of the occult today because if it was founded that way, does that still carry into the current practice today? It
1: it seems to me that if the practitioner is um, not cognizant and consciously participating in occultic aspects of of the roots of chiropractic – he doesn't see it that way. He's broaching it from a scientific and physiological standpoint. And if the person who is going for treatment doesn't see it that way, it seems to me that we're not talking about the kind of issue there that would
0: be problematic. Okay. Yeah, I'm not a medical historian, but I would guess even beyond chiropractic, There are many aspects in medicine that might have been done for the wrong purposes with uh, the the wrong sort of root foundation. And yet over the years you do research, you have people who do them for the right reasons, and some people get benefit and some people don't.
6: And and a lot of scientific and medical knowledge has been um, discovered since – the 1800s, yes. which we are very thankful for. Yeah, um, I mean, even, you know, penicillin or, you know, all sure. of these other things that didn't exist before and even the mindsets, like that that those have changed a lot since then.
0: Yeah, I appreciate his sensitivity to it, though. Yeah. I, and that's what I, I listen to Dr. Rydelnik every week. If I miss the show live, I, I catch the podcast all two hours. And what I appreciate is the questions are always from people who love the Lord and want to be faithful to him and just want to honor him in every aspect of their lives. And so that that's the root of what's going on here. And so that, it's, it's a good question, Doug. I appreciate you yes. sending it in.
6: Yeah. Thanks, guys. Next question, last question, I think, will be from Vera on Facebook. Listens to WCRF and has learned so much through Open Line. And she finally has a question from her adult Sunday school class. In the first century AD, did Rome use the Greek language? When did Latin develop in the Italian language? She said she is from a Serbian Orthodox background and understands how Greek remained in the eastern part of Christianity and developed in the Balkans. But this question came up in class.
1: Right. And it's a great question. You would think under Rome that the native language is going to be for everybody Latin or something like that. It really wasn't actually the case. Um, Latin was spoken especially among like the political and civil leaders and, and others who were in position of kind of secular or political or social uh, power. But the rank and file spoke Koine Greek or uh, Hellenistic Greek during the first century. And that was kind of the street language. Um, and so many people, like in Israel, by the way, many people probably were bilingual. They probably spoke Greek. In fact, we know they did. And probably also Aramaic, probably not Hebrew. Um, Hebrew was spoken by some not too many of the religious leaders, probably, but Aramaic um, would have been the street language for a lot of the people living in Israel, but Greek would have been as well. And so it's, it's funny to think about how under Rome, the Greek language was still um, very much in place for the rank-and-file person in the Roman Empire.
6: Would there still have been the, the um, biblical Hebrew that they were using because that's what the— Torah would have been written on that they would read from in synagogue and stuff, right? And
1: and that's why I say that that, um, some of those who were more the the trained scribes and lawyers and maybe some of the Pharisees uh, might very well have known um, Old Testament Hebrew. but, But the rank and file by this time, Aramaic, had largely replaced Hebrew as the language spoken by the
0: commoners in Israel. Okay. Does that in any way impact bible translation which bible we should be reading i think often that's one of the questions that comes out of this is well 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 then which bible should i be reading given the various ancient languages right well
1: i mean all english versions depend upon greek hebrew and aramaic texts right ancient ones mm-hmm. um and, and so um, they all depend upon that. It's the translation philosophy, whether we're going to be more paraphrasing and looser with the translation or more strict and narrow and more literal with the translation. My suggestion is it's always better to buy and use a good literal translation, NASB, ESV, uh, HCSB, to start with. Uh, those are great translations
0: faithful to the original languages.
6: Okay. All right. Thank you.
0: Good question. Yeah. Thanks so much. Appreciate you, Vera, for not only listening, but also for sending in that question. You can get in the mailbag by going to openlineradio.org. Always love taking your questions here on Open Line, especially on the phones. And we'll get back to the phones coming up next. The number is 877- 548-3675, 877-548-3675. 548-3675, 548 Dr. Cisco Cotto and Dr. Michael Van Lanningham joining you around the radio kitchen table this morning, sitting in for Dr. Michael Rydelnick on Open Line.
5: In 2 Peter 3.16, Peter says Paul has written some things that are hard to understand. That's why Alan Johnson's book, Romans, Everyday Bible Commentary, is so helpful. It provides clear explanations that will enhance our understanding of this important letter. And it offers practical application for our own lives, too. When you give a gift of any size to OpenLine, I'll send you a copy of Romans, Everyday Bible Commentary, just to say thank you. Call 888-644-7122
0: or visit openlineradio.org. Welcome back to Open Line with Dr. Michael Rydelnik. He'll be back in January, recovering after some surgery. He's healing up well, and we look forward to having him back here around the radio kitchen table. I'm Dr. Cisco Cotto, along with Dr. Mike Van Lanningham. We both teach at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, and really great to be here with you. Let's get back to your calls. We'll begin with Lori. She is listening in Chicago on WMBI. Good morning, Lori. Thanks for joining us. You're on Open Line.
3: Good morning, Cisco. Good morning, Michael V. How
0: are you, Lori?
3: Oh, great. Finally, I got through. And this is a hard question to reconcile. You know the verse that says God does not want anyone to perish. And it uses the word perish. And I don't know where it is, but you do. And so then we are going to have the rapture, the tribulation, the millennium, and finally, Jesus will come back, and there won't be just the devil and the dragon and the antichrist and the demons in the lake of fire. There will be unsaved people in the lake of fire. So, how do we reconcile that with the fact that God doesn't want anyone to perish?
1: Right. Okay. That's a that's such an important question, Lori, and it's so important in light of Second Peter chapter three and verse nine. A verse that, in my opinion, is almost universally misread by well-meaning Christian people. So here's what the verse says. This is New American Standard once again. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient, and here's a key expression, toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Now, what we tend to do is we tend to skip over for, toward you. And we camp on the end of the verse, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Let me suggest this, that God is patient toward Christians, not wishing for any Christians to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Now, now I'll explain what I mean by this. But start, if we ask the question, who's the, who are the you's in this passage, in the context? Well, if you go back to chapter three, verse one, it says, "This this is now beloved, the second letter I am writing to you, in which I am stirring up your sincere mind." Uh, verse two, that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the prophets and the in the commandments of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Verse eight, um, but do not let this one fact escape your notice. So you know who you know who the yous are here. It's Christians, and so God is patient. Toward people who are among the elect, you got to hear everything I'm about to say, that he doesn't, that even people among the elect have to come to faith in Christ. Now, I sinned a whole lot before I trusted Christ as Savior. God was patient toward me. After the very first sin I ever committed, God would have been uh, within rights to kill me on the spot for my sin. But he was patient with me because he didn't wish for me to perish, that is to die, before I got saved, before I came to repentance. And so I think that this is actually talking about how God, uh, uh, for, for those who he has chosen to be saved, they don't die before they actually come to Christ as Savior. Last thing I want to say, in, in verse 14 in the same chapter, just a few verses later, It says, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found in him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. In verse 9, God is patient toward you so that we would find salvation. And the patience of God in verse 15 is for our salvation. And so I think what we're talking about here is not God's desire for everybody in the world to get saved, it's talking about his patience and not killing the elect before they come to faith in Christ, and and they come to faith in Christ so they don't perish, and and then they get saved by faith in Christ. I think that's what it's actually talking
0: about. What's important, and a great explanation of that, Mike, what's important if we don't understand that is it makes it sound like God... Is sort of this powerless God who's sitting there going, "Oh, oh, oh gee, I, I, I don't want anyone to perish. I, I re- really hope that anyone doesn't perish." But but he doesn't have the ability to work in in order to uh, to affect change in the hearts of the elect, in the hearts of the believers. And so I'm glad you explained it that way because a lot of people see that, "Oh, he's not willing that anyone will perish, but but some will." It's any of you. Yes. Yes. Clearly, he's not. Uh, clearly, he's not powerful enough to get this done. Right. That's really good. Mike V, always love being on the radio with you. And I look forward to doing that again next weekend here on Open Line with Dr. Michael Rydelnick. I'm Dr. Cisco Koto. That's Dr. Michael Van Lanningham. For more information about Open Line, go to openlineradio.org. Thanks to the Open Line team, Trish McMillan, Bob Moreau, and Lynn. Open Line with Dr. Michael Rydelnick, a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute in Chicago.